0: Hello and welcome to the Great Birth Rebellion podcast where we grapple with current research to help you get the best out of your pregnancy, birth and postpartum journey while still challenging the dominant birth culture. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Jackson at Melanie the Midwife and I'm joined weekly by my co-host B from Core and Flora Store and this is the Great Birth Rebellion. Welcome everybody to this episode of the Great Birth Rebellion. And B and I are back here together. Oh, B, I forgot to tell you something. Well, before we were recording, our podcast will have by the time this airs officially had over three hundred thousand downloads. So that's cool. That's
1: um, Bea, very cool.
0: Yeah. Thank you for making the Great Birth Rebellion successful. And thank you to all of you, birth workers and midwives and care providers, who are recommending it to the women in your care because we just got told that
1: someone like someone went to a hospital and it was printed out with an option, like someone went to the trouble of putting a barcode that they that people could scan that directly linked them to our podcast like that's
0: effort if that was you thank you just thank you if that was you who made the poster and created a qr code and managed to get it stuck up in your hospital can you please message b and i i'd like to just give you all free t- you deserve goodness. a free t-shirt but we don't have i'll just give them one of my t-shirts more i've got some things i could give away i'm gonna give away more than that just get in contact with me mel at melanythemidwife.com. i'd like to give you you t-shirt. get a car you get a car yeah, yeah it's not going to be a car but i would want to absolutely reward that kind of behavior so thank oh, you <laughs> I, I, oh, oh. How am I gonna screen people now? How am I gonna know if it's true? It's like say, uh, it's your $20. Yeah, that's my 20.
1: Your reward is that you're an epic human and you're doing epic things. They don't need a reward from us. Let's get rid of rewards and punishments. It's just it's not, not let's good. And we just deeply value you as a human being in our culture and community. Thank you Thank for being here.
0: Thank you, person who went ahead. But get in touch with Mel.
1: Let her reward you. I'm not going to reward you. You you are the reward. You're enough. You
0: don't need a reward. (laughs) (laughs) Broken by a true parent. Um, Okay. Today, to this episode, guys, we are going to talk about pain relief in labor, but not like that. Like We're going to talk about management strategies in labor that don't involve pain medication. And- uh, we also just want to steer clear of maybe, oh no, I don't like steering clear of the language of pain. No, we're talking about non pharmaceutical pain management. Yeah. That's what we're
1: talking about. Correct. So, pay, ways of managing pain without the drugs. And some people don't want to call it pain, and that's okay. Call it whatever you want to call it. We're going to call it pain because it's physiological pain. And f- it's just many, people have belief systems that pain is bad Hmm. and that is including pathophysiological and physiological pain and i'm going to explain that in the podcast and that's a cultural thing that is definitely being driven through marketing by pharmaceutical companies that all pain is bad and has to be admitted at all costs so we're gonna we're
0: gonna explore that that's probably a really good place to start really well that can i explain that If we start there, because I found a beautiful little definition of pain management strategies in labour. And Hmm. so pain management strategies that include non-pharmacological interventions, so non-medicine interventions, which is what B and I are going to talk about today, they aim to help women work through and with pain in labour. But pharmacological, so medical, like medicine for pain management aims to reduce or remove pain. So whereas non-pharmacological interventions aim to help women get through and manage and sort of give them strategies for working through pain. So the idea is not to get rid of it, it's to get through it. Whereas pharmacological management, they want to reduce it, get rid of it, put it aside. So I feel like that's a really helpful way when you're trying to understand what am I going to use to manage pain in labour is we're not trying to take pain away. We're trying to give you tools to work with it and work through it.
1: And so that's why I'll often say pain management, because it's, it's managing the pain. But as you were talking there, Mel, I think we just want to honour that today. As always, we're not here to tell you how to labour. And birth your baby at all. We're not here to tell you what is right or wrong. There is no such thing. There is just whatever works for you, and that is your labor and birth. But that's what came to my head because it's the skills, really. What we're talking about today is pain management skills. So that you have um, what I often call a labor tool belt or a labor um, tool bag where you get to dip into and experiment and see what feels good and what doesn't. So, as always, Take what resonates with you today and throw out the rest. You don't have to agree with us on everything. That's not, we're, we're not, we're, we're okay with you not agreeing with us on everything yeah. <laughs> or liking what every, every, everything that we say.
0: Yeah. And I think, and that's the thing. It's when we talk about pain in labor, I think the real issue is, is that medicine still sees pain as pathological, like you were saying as a disease state, as something wrong. And that's because that's a medical way of thinking. Like if you work in an emergency department or anywhere else in a hospital, the whole intention behind delivering good care is obviously to give people treatment but also to control their pain. And that's fine if you're sick. Of course, pain management is important. But childbirth is not a state of disease or sickness. And so we only seek to control pain if you sit in this illness mindset that there's something wrong with labor being painful. And if you listen back, we had two episodes that really touched on the importance of pain in labor and how it's not a pathological process. It's actually an important component of physiological labor. We spoke to Dr. Sarah Buckley in episode 15, and we talked about the hormones of labor And how they're perpetuated by the pain, sensation of pain in labor, and how important pain is to facilitate the hormonal cascade. And also, B, you and Rhea spoke about in episode 22 about the importance of pain in labor. And so, I guess what we're bringing to this is a real midwifery physiological mindset that pain and discomfort in labor is an important part of the hormonal cascade and i'm going to get emails now from women who say no no my labor was painless um that's amazing and obviously your labor still f- progressed without pain the hormonal cascade still occurred incredible bodies are amazing we know so little about the labor process so of course that's completely possible but for the majority of women it's going to hurt but we can do it like it's not the worst pain ever and i've famously was just reflected on my births as the first one was just boring long and boring like people like how was it like so boring just went on forever and then I pushed my baby out and I was really tired like I do not recall pain I was definitely in pain but and the second one was a lot stronger definitely more painful but I could definitely do it like yeah it hurt you have a minute of pain and then nothing and then a minute of pain and then nothing and then you squitch a little baby out and you go, oh, look at that. You know, like it was not excruciating, (laughs) Bees laughing, because that's a very, very baby way of talking about birth. But if I can give you anything is that it's a lie that birth is the most painful thing you'll ever feel. And the other lie is that women aren't capable of doing it and maybe we should all go to hospital and have epidurals because that would be way better. The truth is is that women are so strong that we can do birth without pharmacological pain relief if you want to. (laughs) Oh, I'm waiting. There's just
1: just so much I want to say in all of that. Can I... It's funny, you know, I've just posted recently on social media that I'm going to hike Kilimanjaro next year. Are you? Yeah, this time next year I'll be summiting. Maybe today is the actual day I'll be summiting this time next year. Um, Yeah, I think it is. Wow, that's cool ah uh, and so many people have messaged me and said it will be harder than labor from people who have done it and given birth right so they're they're speaking from their own experiences and i'm like mate i had a one-hour labor and i'm taking eight days to summon a mountain it, I, it's going to be physically and mentally harder i know that but what i want to say here is we all experience things very differently so if what we're talking about right now feels really triggering Firstly, bring compassion to yourself, knowing that you very much did the very best you could with all you had. If you've given birth and you're listening to this, and this is bringing up some feelings for you, knowing that our feelings are our own. And when we get triggered, it is a beautiful offering to look deeper into our story. It doesn't always feel like a beautiful offering, especially if the feelings are big. It can very much feel like an F you to the person who has said the things that I feel triggering. But That there are often some feelings still sitting there for us. And so this is why it's so important to debrief our experiences, whether it be birth or breastfeeding. What I want to do here though is just really quickly break down pain in labor. So as Mel said, some people will experience birth as completely painless and orgasmic. And I have definitely witnessed those births. They haven't been many, but I have witnessed people experience birth like that, which is amazing. I often have issues with some childbirth education that teaches birth to be painless for everybody because that's for what I, from what I have seen, is the majority of people do experience childbirth as painful. And so then, if all their education is around that it can be painless and then they get into labor and it feels painful. Then it can really throw them psychologically. And so much of what we know about how we perceive a situation is what we think about it, which is why Mel and I are so passionate about breaking down these preconceived ideas around what labour and birth is. Because generally speaking, the message is: birth is the most excruciating thing you'll go through in your entire life. Don't be a hero. Take an epidural. Right and now, if we will on a sports field and we were watching a team train that is not how we would speak to them right we would say we believe in you we're thinking of you good luck we'll be cheering you on from the sidelines now the pain that our sports heroes experience and the pain that laboring people experience is the same it's the it's physiological pain so physiology means how the body works it's the body working at peak performance and that comes with mental and physical challenges and it's typically experienced as pain pathophysiological pain is the body responding to something either emotional and or physical that isn't meant to be there that kind of pain that's not meant to be there can also be there amongst the physiological during labour and birth. If they've had pathophysiological pain on top of the physiological, it can hold a lot of trauma because that kind of pain wasn't expected. It tends to take over and it can really drive where the labour goes. And so, What Mel and I are talking about today is physiological pain and managing that. Pathophysiological pain in labour is a right pain in the arse and it's a whole other thing. And for many people that have had that, they will resort to other methods of pain relief that include uh, pharmaceutical methods. Again, there's no right or wrong. There's just knowing what your options are and ensuring that they feel good for you. And then if they didn't, having space to work through that post-birth is super important because for those of us that carry that fear of failure or the I'm not good enough theme, we'll, you know, connect that to having an epidural, for example. And so there's a lot of guilt, there can be a lot of guilt carried with having these kind of um, things in our labor. So just please knowing that we're always going to do the very best we can with what we have at the time because I think the biggest thing with pain is the the fear, tension, pain theory that so many of us midwives talk about. So if you haven't heard about that, it's basically this theory. If you imagine you've got fear at the top and then there's an arrow that goes down to tension and then there's an arrow that goes back up to pain and then it goes back up into fear. And so the idea is the more fear we have, the more tension we have, the more tense our bodies are. You think about your body, right? And I love this example. You know, like if you're really sleep deprived and you're angry at your partner and you've had a really bad day at work and the dog's barking and you hit your toe and it feels like the most excruciating pain in the world or you're having the absolute best day and you're feeling super energized and you're feeling really awesome and you knock your toe and you're like, oh, that hurt, but it's not a big deal right? That's if our bodies are tense, they're going to experience pain in a much more severe way. And one reason our bodies can be tense, a very big reason is fear. I'll often say when our mind and heart are tense, our body is tense. There is a flow on effect throughout all of us. And so the more fear we have, which is often driven by these misbeliefs in our culture around pain, the More fear we have, the more tension we have in our bodies. The more tension we have in our bodies, the more pain we experience. The more pain we experience, the more fear we generate, and we just keep going around in this cycle. If that, if things that you're expecting and hoping and wanting weren't there, then that can shift us into being feeling scared. And then, and it might not be that we're actually scared of the pain. It might be that we're feeling unsupported and uncared for, and that generates fear. And then that fear then leads into us experiencing pain in a very different way. So what do you need to feel safe? Because the safer you feel, the less less fear you're going to have, the less tension you're going to have, the less pain you're going to have.
0: Absolutely. And this beautifully just streams into the very first point I was going to make about how do we prepare for our labours in a way that's going to hopefully set you up. To not need pharmacological pain relief. And B and I have each independently made a list of some strategies that you can use. And the first one, which you were already kind of talking about was just education and preparation in your pregnancy just by understanding pain, in labor, of what our body's doing, why it's why it kind of feels that way helps us to reframe the pain as something good and productive rather than bad and destructive. And so if you reframe the experience of labour and mentally prepare that, yeah, it's going to be strong, there's going to be discomfort, there's going to be potentially there's going to be pain, but it's good pain. And so you can start to welcome the process of labour So that when there's a contraction building, instead of going, oh, no, we go, okay, yes, this means my body's working. It means my uterus is contracting. It means my cervix is likely going to dilate. It means I'm hormonally working in labor. Like, yes, this is good. This is what gets my baby out. So just that reframing pain and a mental shift with your feelings about pain, which is kind of what you were talking about, be with the fear, tension, pain cycle, is you can set yourself up to be more welcoming of the discomfort of labour rather than frightened of it and wanting to get rid of it.
1: What I want to say here is what do you want, right? Because some of us want to climb mountains. Some of us want to do that and others want to stay home and play board games, You are going to labor and birth as you, as yourself, not as some idealistic version of you. I was never going to breathe my baby out because that's not how I do life. I do life in a very loud and physical way. And so, of course, my birth was going to be loud and physical. There was never going to be anything calm about it, right? It was going to be entertaining because I like to be entertaining. That's who I am. And so figure out who you are. Figure out what you want. Make sure your support people are on board with this and then train for that.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: train for your labour and birth. And every marathon I've run, every mountain I've hiked, I've trained for it so that it feels safer when I get there. And this is whether you're using education, podcasts, I've, all my free antenatal classes are still available. They're still free. They have so much of this content and all the techniques explained in them uh, you know that's part of the training okay um yeah move your body move it get used to some physiological pain if that's where you want to go and if it's not be okay with that be okay with who you are again there's we're not telling you how to birth here what we're saying is do what feels good for you so you can leave your birth and go that is exactly what i wanted to do so know who you are and work with that but yeah What belief system do you want to create? What story do you want to create for this labor and birth? And maybe the story you want to create is I am capable and I can do this. Mm. And the other important thing here to do is have a map. So go back and listen to the birth mapping episode. Part of birth mapping is figuring out what you don't want. And so it's all well and good to go into your labor and say, I don't want an epidural. But there may come a point in time where you feel like you need one. So look at that. In your antenatal period, when would I be willing to have an epidural? And that may be, I'm so willing to have an epidural if I need to have a cesarean. And that's it. I'm not willing to have one before, right? It's actually trying to decide when you would be willing to have one and enable your birth support team to be across that as well. Mm. Um,
0: And this brings up an important point of that I think the pain. I don't so know where you're going to go. Well, the pain management strategies that you end up using in your labor are a product of the decisions that you make in your pregnancy. So there's there's two big things that you can choose before you even get to being in labor. The first one is what type of care provider you will have. Oh,
1: I knew you were going to go there. That was my next point. I reckon we haven't yeah. seen each other's list. No. So I feel like- going to be
0: the same It's exactly we, where I've gone. Exactly, <laughs> right? So the, the, there's things we can do before we even get there. So we know from evidence that having mid, midwifery continuity of care, wherever you are, whether you choose that to be at home, in a birth centre or in hospital, that women who have their own midwife in the continuity of care model have the least use of uh, pain medication and and perceive their capacity to go through, to to work through labor as higher than women who haven't got that model of care. Now, the really unfortunate thing is that in most locations around the world, continuity of midwifery care is not where the majority of women can access their care. But if you've got the capacity to access midwifery continuity of care, so if you've just discovered you're pregnant or you're early pregnant, now's the time to be hunting down midwifery group programs, private midwives, basically your own midwifery care provider to look after you for your pregnancy because that's one thing that you can do at this very moment in your pregnancy to set yourself up for an opportunity to have less pain medication in your labour. And the next big thing to choose is the location that you'll be at. So I had a look at the, uh, the new Australian Women's and Babies Report came out In the last few weeks. So the data for 2021 just came out recently. So the data for now, for 2023, will come out in two years' time. But in 2021 in Australia, 80% of women had some kind of pharmacological pain relief, whether it be gas, epidural, or opioids. So that's yeah, 80% is a big number, particularly. I, my mind is blown with that because I'm a continuity of care midwife providing home birth services. So the vast majority of my clients, probably like at least 95%, are not using any kind of pharmacological pain relief. And even if we transfer into hospital, it's not usually for pain relief, but sometimes we need it for the procedures that need to occur. And so I don't understand what's happening in these places where women feel like that's their only option, but I do, obviously my clientele is very different, but I do think that if you're of a mindset to choose a midwife and choose a location that doesn't have access to these kinds to to pharmacological pain relief, that you're guaranteed statistically less likely to use it because it's actually not an option. Can I read a quote? Please, go ahead. I normally do
1: this. But uh, it's a really good one. The biggest risk factor for the most common surgery performed on Earth, which is caesarean, if you didn't know. So caesarean is the most common surgery performed on Earth. The biggest risk factor for the most common surgery performed on Earth is not a woman's preferences or her medical risks, but literally which door she walks through. By Dr. Neil Shah. And it sums it up. It's the same in Australia. Two biggest impacts on your birth are your care provider and your place of birth. What I also want to say apart alongside this is get a doula. You hear me say it over and over and over and over and over again, but that is the role of a doula is, is to facilitate emotional safety, right? So the role of the doula and the midwife is to recognise in you where you are feeling unsafe and to bring you back to safety if you can't bring yourself back to it mm. and that is that is the true role of a midwife but so many of us are uh unable to provide that care now because of all the computers and the tick boxes that we have to tick and, and that just uh, it's heartbreaking so then you don't get to practice these skills and you don't get to have these skills so even if you've got continuity of midwifery care, I still now, I totally believe if I was working in a big city hospital now, I'd be telling all of them to get a doula because I just wouldn't have the space and capacity and time to provide the kind of care I'd want to, Mm -hmm. but get a doula. And the research, I put a post on this recently and a couple of doulas got a bit... um, you know, made some made some really um, important comments about how they didn't like the statistics around it. But there is incredible research that shows it decreases the use of pain management. And so if your um, quest is to not access pharmaceutical pain management, you want to look at the evidence on what reduces that, a doula and a um, continuity of care with a midwife does, as does your place of birth. But please know, and we've touched on this, You know, the research shows from over 200,000 births in New South Wales that as a low-risk woman, you and your baby are at risk of worse outcomes simply by choosing private obstetric care.
0: Absolutely. And I just want to go back to that point you made about getting a doula and shout out to all those people who think I'm anti-doula. I want to revisit this point just loud and clear. I'm a home birth midwife who often works with doulas. But, yes, definitely the most savage messages I've ever received in my life are from doulas who don't like what I said. So I just want to
1: put this out it's there. It's your podcast. You can cry mm. if you want. You, I'm
0: having a little rant. I'm having a, a rant, rant.
1: It was pretty nasty. Some of the messages, oh. I saw some of the messages. Let's all be kind to each other in this space more than anything own, own our own feelings. Um, but, yeah, just statistically speaking, what we are saying is that the people you choose to support you and the place you choose to birth do have an impact on the pain management that you select and go with. And Mel loves doulas.
0: I love doulas. I just always do. I yeah. Anyway, obviously some things come across as if I don't, but please hear me. Anyway, I'm going to leave that point. But what I'm I'm trying to say is I did look at a lot of papers about the impact of what they call continuous support in labour. So if you're looking for some of this research, the Mm. thing that seems to make a difference, and and also for women who maybe can't afford a doula, they've done research on if the people at your birth adopted Mm. strategies that a doula would adopt, Mm. what's the impact of those? So there was a program that trained student nurses and student midwives in doula skills and they were try this strategy was how can they give women who can't access a doula how could they give them doula care in a hospital setting and some bright spark had this idea of like well why don't we train some of the students to give some of that care and then women could access that in hospitals if they couldn't afford to bring their own so they piloted this program and had the most amazing results and they looked really specifically at very specific tools that these students would use. So the papers in the resource resource. folder, Uh, but there was 15 or 20 interventions they called them. So they included things like eye contact and positive words and encouragement and massage and all these things, you know, offering heat packs and giving education. and So they looked at the impact of all of these little bits and pieces and found that the more of the tools that the students applied to the woman, the less likelihood the woman would be to seek out pharmacological pain relief. So essentially the more engaged and the more hands-on and the more invested that the person was with the woman, the less likely that the woman would need anything more and then aka
1: the more connected they were the more attuned they were which is true midwifery are you attuned with someone right we all have the ability and I love that they taught this we all have the ability to be connected to another human being and this is where midwives aren't able to practice their skills anymore because the connection is broken but The true true midwifery skill is to be completely connected to another human being, right? And that you're going to get the best care then because then you're attuned to them and you are going off their energy and you're providing them with their needs. And so that person gets their needs met, they feel safe and they feel better about their birth. I often see seeking pharmaceutical pain management in certain situations, it's physical, but more often than not, what people are saying is, can you support me more? Mm. And if I talk talked to people, they'll often that's and that's where the resentment or the regret is held because they think if I had just been supported more by my midwife or my doctor, or I'd just been given more choice, or they told me to change positions. And this is and and I mean this with love. I I, I don't, you know, I know that what I'm saying can be really triggering. But what often it's it's what's lacking. It's what's not being offered, and then that's where the fear. disappointment as well but the fear comes in because these people are not being guided and they want to be guided because we've been raised to listen to external authority and be guided i mean you're in a vulnerable situation most of us want to be guided through that and you know if the emotional well-being of a person was at the forefront or the center of maternity care just think about that for a second what kind of outcomes would we see But instead, the priority of the care is the life status of the baby.
0: And I think midwives know, midwives who work in a hospital, they know and acknowledge that there are massive gaps in the care that they can give in the system. And it's not by any fault of their own. It's a really poorly organised system that doesn't prioritise the needs of women. And midwives work in that system and have to work according to, the way that their workplace works because they're in there. They're contractually obliged whether or not they believe in it or not. And so I feel like midwives know. They're like, you can't, a midwife in a hospital cannot spend the amount of time that a continuous one-on-one support person could spend with a woman in labour. Well, partly there's the limitation of the fact that they work in shifts. You have to work in shifts. And if a, even if a woman comes in at the beginning of your shift, you're limited to 8 to 12 hours with that person. And then the shift will change. And so, you know, when we talk about continuous support in labor, it could be a really good uh, sort of lay doula a great support person and we did an episode on how to be an awesome support person so go back to that one if you're not getting a doula you can train up your supporters to be the person you need them to be for your labor and if they put some work in just you know having continuous having continuous support is as beneficial if it's if it's good support as hiring yourself a doula and so you know when we look at the stats And what they found is if you have a continuous support person in labor, qualified or not, then you can reduce your pain medication use statistically 25 to 35% less use of pharmacological pain relief if you've got somebody who's fully engaged in supporting you in your labor journey. So,
1: which is why student midwives work so bloody beautifully too. And I will say, though, doulas are worth
0: their investment. And it
1: really is about finding someone that makes you go, this person feels so right for me. With all our care providers, right, with anyone that you employ to look after you in your labour and birth, whether it be a doctor, midwife or doula, it, your relationship with them should feel so safe that you can be your most vulnerable with them and feel safe in that mode, right? We don't want to be intimidated by them. We don't want to be scared by them. We want a beautiful connection. And so it really is about who you are and how, who they are in that relationship. like. So really think about, okay, and maybe one of my best tips is to actually get people to put in for you rather than buying clothes that your baby's not going to wear or soft, cuddly toys that it's not allowed to have in the cot anyway. Get people to invest in your health. The best gift you can give your child is a well version of you and a well version of your partner if you have one. Yeah. You'll never agree- regret investing in your health and doulas are worth their weight in gold as our midwives if they're the right one for you I do want to say that because I'm just conscious that do people come to me and say I hired a midwife and she wasn't the right person for me and just totally acknowledging that some of us are so limited in our choices that there is only one midwife that we can pick and it maybe not have been the right midwife for us but it enabled us to get a service like a home birth that we
0: want to. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So so what have we talked about then? We talked about childbirth education, understanding pain and reframing that in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Two is figuring out who you actually are and what you want out of this
1: and ensuring that the people that are providing you care and or support are on the same path. Right. the attitudes your care providers attitudes will impact your labor and birth so find out what their attitudes are find out what the philosophy is on the place ask, what's your epidural rate mm. right ask for the statistics and then you know what you're up against and prepare for that and preparing for that may be getting a doula it may be really upskilling your support people if they're willing to but that that may be completely out of their comfort zone And they may not want to do that, in which case they're not the right people to support you on their own
0: Mm,
1: and or maybe they need support. And a doula is not there to take away from your partner or support people. It's to add value to them. It's actually to nourish them so they can nourish you. Do different types of exercises to mentally and physically prepare for their body working at peak performance. Um, um,
0: Yeah, we spoke about, what do we say? We talked about... continuity of be free care, choosing mm. the right place that feels safe. Some women feel safer at home. Some women feel yes. safer at a birth center. Some women feel safe in a hospital. So you've got to choose a location that feels safe and not threatening. It's so talked about continuous support and labor. What's your next point, B? What do you got on your list? Horse breathing. Can I just tell you, is horse breathing over Zoom, B horse breathing doesn't translate over zoom i can't even it have- does what no. not nothing nothing not nothing nothing no oh it was so good how do i how does that it doesn't how did that not happen over zoom i don't know okay. if it's it doesn't trigger off the sound like maybe it's too like like can you do it into the microphone
1: oh it doesn't come. <laughs> it doesn't work <laughs> That's so disappointing. It's like the most terrifying sound in the world.
0: I know. Okay. So, you and I have just horse breathed four times, and Zoom refuses. This is Zoom censorship. It doesn't want us to give information <laughs> to women. Horse breathing. Okay. You're going to have to get on. So, it's horse breath, horse's breath. Horse breath. Uh, people have lots of different
1: names for it. I feel like any midwife now sees it and goes, Oh, they've done B's course. It's just oh. become my thing. I actually learned this in a. I, I feel like I learned it in a yoga class when I first learned the connection between the jaw, like the fascia line with the jaw and the hips and the pelvic floor, right? So for those that don't know Our jaw and hips, there's a a fascia line that runs from the pelvic floor muscles to the muscles in the jaw. So ultrasound imaging of the pelvic floor has shown this connection by showing when humming or talking with a low tone, the pelvic floor lengthens and relaxes. When speaking at a high tone, the pelvic floor elevates and contracts, right? So they've used ultrasound imaging to show that. And I uh, use this in my exercise techniques where I cue pelvic floor contraction and pelvic floor lengthening. I use different sounds that have been shown to actually help connect us to our pelvic floor muscles and so this is why softening the mouth through either horse's breath so you'll see it in my free antenatal classes if you've never seen it and you can use it from whenever you want some people message me and say when in the labor and i meant to use it whenever you want you can use it from the first contraction you can use it just as the baby's coming out and yes I have caught babies that have just been horses breathed, breathed out so any kind of noises or movement that allows the jaw to relax so the pelvic floor will relax right and it's interesting because my next technique is squeezing a comb and people are always like when i when i first started talking about this technique people like but that's tension in the body the tension in some areas of the body is okay during labor and birth and it distracts it and then we want where the fascia lines are connected we want that release so horse's breath is simply just i I can't even it's like where you put your limbs together and you let them go (laughs) So hard not to like to verbally explain it, and some people can't do it because if there's so much tension there and fear there, some people can't. And so what works for them is actually opening and softening the mouth and making deep groaning noises like ah. I actually made those noises, not horse's breath in my second, whereas in my first labour I horse's breath the whole time. So you your lips do get uh, quite dry, and that's where having uh, like a lip balm is super important in labor if you're doing it but it's just that whole softening which
0: i had a client once in labor and her entire mantra that she kept saying out loud to herself while she was in laboring is soft jaw soft fanny stuff jaw soft fanny yeah. and she just kept so I, reminding herself and i was like she's working through it she's using the tools yeah. I always say soft lips equals soft lips.
1: Um, make as much noise as you want or or don't make noise. So you don't have to, but it's just about softening through that jaw. And I remember when I first taught horse's breath, I'd get so many messages where the, the people would say, the midwives were like, what are you doing? Um, I feel like it's a really common technique now. More and more people know about it and it's becoming more widely
0: accepted. Well, and I also want to speak to, so one of my points, it won't take long, but you were saying that you just swore your baby out. Mm. You know, there's actually this, there's really good evidence on yeah. the use of swear words, curse words, yeah. curse words on hmm. reduction of pain, of pain sensation. Yeah. Okay. So, if you, for women who uninhibitedly or intentionally said the F word repeat or multiple times in their labor, perceive the pain of their labor to be less. So, swearing can work. And Anna Mae Gaskin talks about laughter in the birth space. Yeah. And I didn't really understand that until I pushed my second baby out um, hysterically laughing, not intentionally, just that's what overcame my body. So B felt the need to just swear as her baby was emerging, totally fine, absolutely legit, evidence-based strategy. Um <laughs> I do love the evidence especially when I'm birthing I always say that if you come to my workshop I'm always like
1: if swearing's not your thing you're at the wrong place and it's evidence based yeah it is and it feels that's why it feels good it's because what you're actually doing is you're releasing a feeling and releasing our feelings feeling our feelings brings us back into balance so like crying releases cortisol it release it crying actually releases tension as does laughter. And so what your beautiful bodies are doing in those moments and I want to say this crying in labor is just as awesome as laughing. Yeah. Um and often that's what needs to happen when especially when that cervix is like just going to stay here for a little bit. Uh, feelings, right? The feelings that are there. So if there's a whole lot of feelings there, we won't feel safe and our babies won't feel safe to come into this world sometimes. And so having that good cry, having that good laugh, having a good swear session is the body's inbuilt mechanisms to come back into balance. Yeah. I think it's
0: important that if you feel like you want to let something out, whether it's a noise, a word, I've seen women like yell and scream and like pound the wall in kind of anger, like Like, I'm just really getting cranky with it. All of that is really okay. Like holding in emotion in labour is going to slow your labour down. So you've got to be with people in a space where you feel completely safe to express your feelings any way they come out, like swearing, yeah. laughing, crying, raging. And this is, yeah, it's exactly
1: what I was going to say. It comes back to who's going to support you and mm-hmm. how safe do you feel to be your most vulnerable. Um, but we've also just started stocking, I'm going to totally plug us here, we're the only Australian stockist of, the, of these things. They're called um, My Birth Weapon and their balls we use them in a similar way to the birth comb with the acupressure points so they're like got these like spiky bits and you get two balls and you hold them in both your hand and you squeeze down so there's acupressure points for pain management so acupressure applies to pressure on specific points in the body to treat uh health problems in a more like obviously natural way and it's all around the flow of energy and stuff Um, So there are several pressure points you can use for relief of pain or pain management during labour. And the easiest one is to actually hold on to a comb. So the teeth of the comb are held at the base of the fingers, which helps to relieve the pain. And it also plays into the pain gate uh, theory belief, which is the way your body receives pain. If you want to know about other acupressure points, Google Deborah Betts, Deborah, D-E-B-R-A, Bets B-E-T-T-S, acupressure points. She has still, she's had this around for years. It's such an incredible free resource. So it's it's absolutely free. And it's a PDF you can download with all the different acupressure points you can use in labour. And it tells you some of them you don't want to practice until 36 weeks, but it's a really good tool to start practicing with your support people. So they are totally comfortable with doing it to you when you're in labour. But the comb typically... Most people have done my classes, and this is why I'm a bit shocked about the 80% that obviously 300,000 people aren't doing my classes every year. But most people will say what they've used is just the horse's breath and/or the comb. And those two things, they're the magic, right? Apart from the care provider. Horse's breath and the comb are like magic.
0: Your turn. What do you got? Okay. Well, there's I've got so. Movement and position change. So something that really, so my very first research adventure as a baby researcher was uh, the year after I graduated from midwifery, the beautiful Hannah Darlin, Professor Hannah Darlin, took me on as her personal research assistant for an entire year. And the very first study we did was the birth position study, and it was my job. To recruit women to this study and also attend every single birth of all the women who agreed to be part of this study. So I'd just get calls in the middle of the night and off I'd go and we compared women at home to women in birth centres to women in hospital. So I'd hide out in these rooms and my job was literally to record all the positions that women use during their labour. Now ultimately we wanted to compare the different things that women did in different settings but what we inadvertently discovered is that women instinctively move in particular ways in labor if they're uninterrupted. So, if and if they've got the space to do so. So, what we noticed, particularly when we were watching the women at home, because that was m- more closely to a physiological birth environment, we watched what they did. So, in early labor, women typically are a little bit more externally focused, you could still engage them in a conversation. They usually move in a lot more upright, so they'll walk and sway and stand more upright in labor. As labor gets stronger and you go deeper into that birth world, that birth vortex, women get more and more internally focused and closer and closer to the ground. So, in early labor, women feel more comfortable standing, rocking, you know, jiggling, whatever, sometimes even sitting on a chair is comfortable. As labour progresses, they will start to do things like lean on chairs, over tables, over the couch, you know, there's a lot of sort of leaning during a contraction and holding on to something firm but still standing. As labour gets stronger and stronger, they need to get to the ground. They need to get low and low down and obviously more and more internal. And so there's this gradual progression of women moving from an upright movement position, so partway through labour, they start to get lower to the ground, a birth ball sometimes in that circumstance, something's a bit more grounding, a bit more firm and solid to hold or support them. And then by the end of labour, they're right down low onto the ground. No women that we watched physiologically labour instinctively went to lay lay down anywhere. It was always a forward-leaning position or a position that allowed movement, like in the pool. And so labor was never stagnant when we watched these women. There was always movement. There was always change. No contraction was the same. Women would, even if they were in a hands and knees position or if they were down low on the ground, their legs and body and hips and shoulders and hands and everything was still moving, their feet, their knees, like it was this really fluid state. So. And that's a strategy. Not only does it is it physiologically what your body wants to do, but it can help you work with the sensation of labour. It's a very physical journey when you're in labour. It shouldn't be stagnant or still. And, you know, you do whatever you feel. In my first labour, I was in this weird hand movements that just kind of felt rhythmical, like I was like patting my hands together and swiping them together and it was just like a bit of a dance. Um, and in my second labor, I really anchored to my husband and was like, not violently rocking, but my midwife, she said, whoa, you were so physical in your movement. Like I was rocking back and forth, but really swaying my whole body. And at one point was using my husband's hand to kind of like beat against my forehead during a during contractions. Like it was just super physical. So I think That can be challenging. And what we noticed in the study was that, you know, birth centers, there was a lot of physiological activity, but the environment was different. So there wasn't always a great place to lean or rest or get down on the floor, like not, not a comfortable space. And then obviously even less in hospital where the bed was in the middle of the room and women were encouraged to use that. At home, women had all the comforts and they could get in a space that's comfortable And so moving in labour can be a strategy. And if you're working in a hospital where we know this is working against women, there's nothing stopping you from taking the brakes off the bed and pushing it to the side of the room and lifting it up really high to make it a stable, solid high space for a woman to rest her hands on or her head on or put the bags on so that you can make room on the floor for a mat and a beanbag and some cushions or a different chair that just invite women to use the space differently.
1: And it's interesting that you talk about the hand movement because in my first labour, what I did was I imagined a flower opening and I did that with my hand, this really violent physical Oh, flicking, flicking of all my fingers and hand open. And that's how I imagined my cervix opening. Um, my second labor, my girlfriend was like, I thought you were going to pull the taps out of the wall because <laughs> I wanted to be on the ground, but I wanted to hold onto something. And okay. we've just started stocking these incredible birth slings that this osteopath has created that you can buy to use if you're a doula or a midwife or you're just pregnant, and you want to have a birth sling and I'm like, now I'm like, oh, I want to birth again because that bearing down on that and holding on, and I often see this in water birth actually. Like women are just trying to grip onto something, and the blow up bath pulls they they can't, which is why crossing Ooh. the part. There's a the handle. have yeah.
0: handles, but they're very wide apart.
1: Yeah. The best thing you can do, the the best position that's right for you is what feels right for you, like actually listening to your body and asking yourself in labour, what do I need right now? What do I need? So really moving away from that external authority back into that internal authority, the wise wisdom of the body, listening to the very thing that's doing the activity. Your body is the only person in that room that's in labour. Therefore, it's the only thing that knows what it needs. So, yeah, movement. Anything else you want to say around movement? That's all I want to say about movement. Can I put on so um, shaking the apples and rubbing the branches? So, people and massage, right? So, people actually providing your body with some kind of gentle movement if it feels right for you. So, these techniques again, they're in my free antenatal classes, but shaking the apples is literally someone grabbing your bum and shaking it up and down. Rubbing the branches is sticking their hands on either side of your thighs and rubbing them. All of this is kind of connective tissue release. So, if you're feeling really tired in that body um, and it's feeling stuck and you're just You you feel like you need a little bit of extra support. You were talking about eye contact before. Touch, for many of us, touch makes us go, oh. For some of us, it makes us go, get the F away from me. So it's got to work for you. But the shaking the branches and, and shaking the apples and rubbing the branches, I don't do it often. It's just if there's tension there and the person feels like, yeah, I need to release this and massage gentle touching like stroking the arm releases that beautiful oxytocin vision so if we're birthing in a place that we may not want to be in or it feels really clinical wearing an eye mask can be beautiful listening to music and taste having some things that actually taste good and nourish you and you like so really thinking about our senses and what enables what tools we can use with those that bring us into safety When hearing obviously affirmations all the support words from our partner vision can be eye contact all those kind of things like think about what what makes you through feel safe through your senses
0: mm. and if you're going to use top tip if you're going to use essential oils consider an aromatherapy consider putting them on a tissue to smell them instead of filling the room because You might get to a point in your labour where that scent becomes too much and you want it out and then all of a sudden you fill the space. So you can control and use different oils depending on what you want by putting it on a tissue and having it close by instead of filling the whole room with that. Yeah,
1: that's super helpful.
0: Something we haven't mentioned um, is the TENS machine. TENS. I did some research on this one. I've got some papers. Yes, Yes. let's hear it. The problem is, is that all the studies are pretty small for management of pain in labour. TENS has been used in a long time in other areas for pain management. (laughs) So So, not um,
1: obstetrics is what Mel's talking about.
0: Right. So they've studied it for recovery from surgical pain, all these kinds of things. So it's not a new technique to use for pain management and the application in labour is just sort of now the research has got to catch up i think but there's there's a bit i so i you know you were talking about the the gate the pain theory gate control theory of pain and what that teaches us is the theory is is that our body has a limit of sensory overload it can only sense so much pain or so much sensation before it'll kind of mentally shut off from feeling any more pain. And I guess that's a protective mechanism to sort of go, whoa, you've got the capacity to feel a lot of pain, but there's got to be a human limit to pain sensation. So our body can do that by closing the, the sensation gates and limiting the pain messages and the sensation messages that get back to our brain. And so what the TENS machine, the theory behind the TENS machine is that the TENS machine can provide us an a, Type of stimulation that will overload the pain sensation messages that go to your brain, and your body will close the gate to the to the pain sensors essentially, and limit the amount of pain receptor messages that'll get through to your brain. Somebody knows way more about all this than me, and they're going, "Oh my gosh, she's made an absolute porridge of this explanation." But you get the idea. (laughs) It's basically scrambles the pain messages to your brain. So a TENS machine is a transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation. So usually it's a little machine and it's got these sort of flexible pads uh, about the size, I don't eat chocolate, but about the size of a Mars bar. And there's like, it's like, yeah, it's about the size. I would have said a playing card, like a, like a deck of cards card. Sure, yeah, depending on your machine. So there's these yeah. little sticky pads that will stick onto you. My machine's got four, some have two. And you'd stick them on um, your lower back and bum if you want to, or really wherever you want, wherever the pain sensation is strong. And you turn it on and the TENS machine has lots of different settings. So you can start on a lower setting and gradually move up as the pain sensations increase. And it's also a lot of them that are designed for birth also have a boost button. So once the contraction starts, you can boost the sensation, it'll ramp it up, and then you can turn it off for your rest period between contractions. And so they when they studied this, they did find a reduction in pain sensation for women who use the TENS machine, and are going to need to look into the other findings a lot more detail because this randomized control trial that I found, it only had fifty around 50 women in each of the groups. And although the, the women who had the actual TENS and the group that was using the TENS reported a lot less pain, but interestingly, that group had a threefold increase in operative deliveries. I don't understand it. There's only 50 people in each group. So I ca- yeah we can't make conclusions, but I'm curious. I really, really need to look into it. I shouldn't even mention it. But anyway, tens, yes, I carry one in my birth kit. I offer it to people if they want it. Some women love it. Some women hate it. But what we do know that it's not dangerous in labor. And so there's no harm in trying it. And then if you don't like it, just take it off. Yes, people who are really
1: passionate about TENS being like,
0: oh, I thought they were going to absolutely plug them. Um, That research was
1: disappointing, but it's really- look, there's only
0: not enough people in it. And honestly, we know enough about um, its use in pain strategies to know that it's it's an effective option. How effective it is in labour, I don't think they've fully decided yet. But I think if it works for you, then it's worked. And with, with all of these things- You can try it and then stop trying it and you've lost nothing. Like you can just you know, you well, can
1: depends be- on if they've paid for it, but I do want to say here, I recommend TENS to p- pretty much everyone. The thing you want to make sure you get is a what they call an obstetric TENS, so a TENS that's specific for labor and birth, and that is because of the size. Um, you want one that's small enough to wear around your neck. Um, and so there are differences. Some have the booth, some don't. So yeah, you can check them out on our website. There's places that hire them out, and it's an incredible tool to have. And I think with so many of these things, you'd rather have them there than not have access to them you'd rather have more things accessible than not and like mel has so beautifully mentioned all of these things aren't none of these things are harmful right we actually know that there are side effects of pharmaceutical management of pain especially with the epidural there are side effects whereas these things it's the side effect can be you don't like it Squeeze a comb in your hand. Oh, I will say the side effect of squeezing the comb is that you do have a very sore hand the next day um, and it does leave marks. Like there are some side effects for sure. Uh, Side effect of the tens, if they don't turn it off properly, that happened to me and then I was with a woman, it happened to her in labour, her partner did it to her. I, I don't know what actually happened. It's where they don't. It's where they don't turn it off and pull it off or something. Don't and it,
0: pull it off while it's still on. And that yes. is excruciating. You've got to turn yes. it off before you take it off. Yeah, take it off. Yes. yes. Mick did that to me in labor. He took oh. it off before, and it
1: was, it feels like your whole body's been zapped. And then I watched it happen to a woman and I was like, oh, I know your pain. It's so bad. And I knew the pain. So, yeah, don't do that. But I love TENS. I recommend them. I recommend them. Mm. Something we haven't talked about is water
0: immersion. Water immersion. So, use and this kind of pairs with using heat or water. Um, So, heat packs can be a really nice, particularly early labor, uh, uh, labor management tool. There's some really great ones that you can strap on, like that you can walk around with and have them on your back or your belly or both that you can actually Velcro onto yourself. And then, yeah, the use of water immersion in labor can be. Again, just another strategy to improve your comfort. It's not going to take away your pain, but it's going to increase your capacity to manage it and to move. I can re- suggest though, don't get into the water. If you're going to do full immersion in a bath, that's for later in labor. I call that the like the home birth epidural. It's like save that until the end. Because getting in the water too early can slow down your labor, but you can still get into a really nice warm shower as an option to be using the water earlier in labor. And don't ask for permission to use the water or the bath or anything. If you're in a hospital and you feel like you want to ask permission to get in the bath or use the shower, just use that space as if you own it. Pretend that when you walk into that room, that's your territory, and that you're the boss of everything. Use whatever you can get your hands on—any of the chairs, the bed, the shelves, the anything that's there. Assume that's yours. And the bathroom, the toilet—like, just use it. Don't say, "Can I get in the shower now? Can I get in the bath now? I want to sit on the toilet. I want to like just." It's not go. as
1: simple as that, Mel. They're being—they're being told from the antenatal period that they're not allowed. And it's and Don't. the restrictions on water, are growing. I feel mm-hmm. like, oh, you've got a freckle on your left ear; you can't get in the water. And and it's hard for our care providers too. Like I really want to challenge the care providers to keep challenging. What the hell is going on in the in the water immersion in labor space? Because it's just getting tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter, and it makes no physiological evidence based sense.
0: Well, nothing's Um, gonna change unless women start being annoyingly rebellious, and unless midwives aren't don't become annoyingly rebellious against the system, because the more times the system's bothered by a woman using the space with her own autonomy and a midwife questioning why we're not using water immersion and why we're restricting women's movement in labor, the more noise and chaos we make and the more annoying we become. That's when change happens. Change won't happen if we allow if we allow the current practice to continue. And my mum, from the very beginning of my life, instilled in me. She said, "The squeaky wheel gets the oil. The quiet ones, the ones that are working and plugging along and doing their job, they don't get any attention. It's the squeaky wheels. It's the you know, it's the women who won't take no for an answer, and it's the midwives who are just always nitpicking at the system. You know." If you're that person, you need support, you need midwifery sisters and you need colleagues to continue to bolster you and remind you that you're not crazy. Same things with women. You just need the people around you to go, yep, you are right. Whatever you want in labour, you are right. So although, yes, it's hard, it won't change unless we become just the annoying thorn in the side of the system to get things moving.
1: Yeah, which I totally acknowledge is really hard for a lot of people because they weren't raised the way you were. They were raised to be good.
0: Yeah, and when I was raised good... to be naughty. <laughs> yeah, and, our, and I have one more left on my list, and I can see it's also mm. on your list. Mm. The, we did an episode on it, so I don't need to talk much about it, but the sterile oh. water injections. Mm. Um, go back to that episode with Nigel Lee. We've done it, sterile water injections. Have a listen. It'll have all the information in there. But that's the end of, well, I've got relaxation and visualization techniques but that's all very individual too like for me yeah but it's still it's a great technique yeah I mean I didn't train in it in my pregnancy it wasn't part of my strategy but I found myself visualizing it just kind of came it as the contraction built it it like on a graph almost it kind of tracked up and up and up like a mountain and then it would peak And I would imagine myself at the top of the mountain at the peak, and then I would tell myself it's going to come down. And then the rest of the contraction didn't feel so intense and neither did the upward trend because I was like, this isn't so bad. This isn't so bad. It's going up, up, up. I knew there was going to be a peak and all I needed to do was work through that little peak and then it was going to come down. So I'd tell myself at the peak, it's going to come down. And then when I got to the bottom of the mountain at the end of the contraction, I said to myself, either internally or externally, I can do another one because that mentally put me in a great space to begin the next contraction. If you get to the end of your peak and your big contraction, you get to the bottom and go, oh my gosh, I don't want to do another one of those. That was so painful. It was so hard. That's what your brain is going to remember going into the next one and whether you believe it or not, I recommend to women to say things to themselves that they want to believe. So I wanted to believe, and it happened, that I can do another one. And that was my little mantra. I can do another one. And I would remind myself, it's okay. It's going to come up. It's going to peak. And it's going to come back down. And so that using that technique, which is what just kind of naturally I fell into during the labor I found that a really nice mental activity to just move through each contraction.
1: Well, what's happening there is the fear, tension, pain threshold, right? So if after that contraction you think something fearful, which is, oh, my goodness, I can't do that again, or this is really shit, or this is so hard, I didn't think it was going to hurt this bad, then that's how you enter it. You enter it with more fear, more tension, so it's going to hurt more. And what you said there about how it didn't, the the rising up to the peak didn't feel so bad. I think this is why I didn't actually believe that I was in labor because all I was experiencing of the contraction was the peak. And so my in my midwife brain, my contractions were only lasting 20 seconds. But that to me was the painful part of the contraction. My contractions were beautiful, 60, 90 seconds, but the buildup and the release weren't what I would say were painful. It was the peak of them. And so I was like, I can't possibly be in good labor because I'm having such short contractions, but my uterus was doing a beautiful job. It was just, it only felt painful at the part that I had really deemed it was going to be painful, which was the peak, right? So yeah, any kind of affirmations and telling your support people what you need to hear from them and getting them to really feel authentic in saying that to you. So practicing Practice can help. The other thing we haven't mentioned is things like, and I really see these techniques working really well with pathophysiological pain. So, if we're experiencing pathophysiological pain, just like the sterile water injections can work really well, so can beautiful techniques like the spinning babies techniques to release, like the psoas, any of those kind of spinning babies techniques that can really help with pathophysiological pain. So, pain that's not meant to be there.
0: Guys, I think. That is our, that's what we've got. That was a long episode, but I feel like we couldn't leave any of that out because it's all the tools that you could have in your kit. You may not use some of them, but any preparation that you do towards understanding pain, having the right people, choosing the most supportive environment is going to go a long way if you want to avoid pharmacological pain relief and the side effects that can occur from that, then these strategies can help you get there. I hope you found it helpful and we will see you in the next episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. Just remember you can do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening with us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite podcast platform and join our mailing list at melaniethemidwife.com. Mel sends out weekly emails with access to all the evidence we use in this podcast. You can find out more about Mel at MelanieTheMidwife.com and find out more about me, B at CorumFloor.com.au. We can't wait to bring you next week's episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. Yeah! Yeah! Um, <laughs> all right.